0: Well, as we make a run towards easter we're going to talk about the cross and, and what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the different ways that the bible talks about what jesus did now we talk about that in, in in understanding this reality that when we are trying to understand what happened at the cross the the transaction that took place we're trying to explain the unexplainable because at somehow, someway, what happened was, is that a supernatural being decided that we as humans could have relationship with him. And because of what took place on the cross, there was a transaction, there was something that took place, and we try to put it in words, and it's really impossible to fully make sense of it. So the scripture tries multiple times to explain to us what happened at the cross, and so we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture. Today we're going to look at 1 Timothy. And so I want to ask you if you would turn with me there and look at one of Paul's descriptions of what took place at the cross. 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 1193. And the background of this passage is that Paul was writing a letter to Timothy who was leading the church at Ephesus. Timothy was Paul's apprentice. And so he was writing this letter to encourage him to tell him how to pastor, tell him how to lead the church, what the church needs to do. And so in the middle of that is this passage that we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1 verses 1 through 7, page 1193 in the Pew Bible. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. All right, just as a side note, somewhere in the last couple of decades, we've forgotten that one. Uh, That may be a good thing to pick back up. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. In verse 4, we get a picture of God's heart, that he loves people and desperately wants people to be connected to him. Verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, and for this purpose I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying and a, a true and faithful teacher to the Gentiles. So we're going to hang out in verses 5 and 6. And so here's, Paul uses two words to describe what Jesus did. The first is mediator. Now, a mediator is a person that intervenes on behalf of two parties that have disagreement. All right? If you've been through a civil a civil uh, Court case, you may have had a mediator there. A mediator is someone who understands both sides of the situation and tries to bring unity or find compromise so that the parties can move on. Sometimes it involves paying money, sometimes it involves giving up things, whatever it is. But a mediator is a one that takes two parties and helps them find agreement. All right. Now, I'm going to explain this to you in very human terms, and please understand that I am explaining something to you, uh, as Paul was doing, to try and make sense in the human mind, and understand that this can be torn to shreds theologically if you choose to do so. Right? Um, so I'm telling you not to build a theology around this, but here's what I'm telling you, is that this is an illustration that Paul uses to explain what took place, between God and humanity, and and how Jesus intervened on behalf of humanity to create a relationship with God. Okay? So, imagine with me, if you will, that I represent humanity. That's a scary thought. I know. All right? But I represent humanity, and sitting across the table from me is God. And God and I have a disagreement. Because I tell God... God, listen. I want to be right with you. I want to have a relationship with you, a relationship that begins now and lasts for all eternity. God, I want us to be right. And God looks at me and says, "I can't do that." But why, God? I don't understand because I know you love me and you know I love you and I want that relationship to be right. But God says, "I'm sorry. There's a problem." I'm perfect purity. I have no sin. I can't tolerate sin. I can't tolerate having any kind of relationship with sin. And because of that, I'm sorry, we, we can't get along. We can't have the kind of relationship that you want. And I'm going to tell you, just as a side note, that that's very frustrating for us as humans. Because what we want to tell God is, listen, how about if I just do more good in my life than I do bad? Surely that will be enough. Right, If I help enough people and I'm, I'm good enough and, and my good outweighs the bad when, it, when it's over, then it'll be okay, right? And God's response is no, it's not enough. But God, maybe you could grade on a curve, right? On the bell curve and, and those of us on the right side of the curve, you, you could let us go to heaven and have a relationship with you and everybody else is out because I'm sure I can find a lot of people who are worse than me, right, God? But see, here's the problem is we come to God and we want God to have a relationship with us on our terms. We want God to be like us, how we want Him to be. We want God to fit into the box that we've created, and God says, "No, I'm not going to do that." My wife and I, about six months ago, were, were babysitting, and um, which is not an uncommon thing. Um, that's not, I'm not looking for volunteers to babysit. But when um, but we were babysitting. And in, in our new house, there's an upstairs, and the upstairs has been made for children so they can go watch TV and play with toys and leave us alone, right? So, um, but these, this, this, this little boy was at our house, and he wanted to go upstairs, but he couldn't go upstairs because we were in the middle of some construction, and there were boards upstairs with nails in them and sticking up. So he came and said, Doug, I want to go upstairs. And I said, I'm sorry, you can't go upstairs today. It's too dangerous. Now, I don't know about how his other babysitters treat him, but apparently when I said no, that meant it's time to negotiate. So, he got into this just this dramatic presentation about why life will not be complete if I don't go upstairs. And I said, "I'm sorry. What did I say? Well, you said no, but... No, I said, no, you can't go upstairs. And that means we negotiate harder. So then the bottom lip comes out, and and the the fake tears start to show up, and and he starts giving me this, my life, and, and this isn't what he said, but this is what he was trying to say, my life will not be complete unless I get to go upstairs. And I didn't say what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, you have never met stubborn till today. (laughs) I will not lose. And I said, no, I'm sorry, you're not going upstairs. Cheris, my daughter, was there, and she heard this around the corner, and so she stuck her head into the room. And I looked at her, and I said, Cheris, would you explain to this young man what no means in our house? And she looked at him with a a very serious look, and she said, listen, he's not going to change his mind. It's just not going to happen. And the more you resist, the worse it's going to be. So just accept it. And he just fell crushed to the floor. (laughs) And he got up, and he went and sat in the corner, and he just looked at me like I was the most evil person that's ever existed on the planet because I said no in minutes the next time he came to our house, and I said, no, it was done. But that first battle was fun. So I say all that to say is we come to God so many times in the negotiation and say, God, I want you to be this way. I want you to to look at my life, and I want you to understand that I'm okay the way I am, and I want you to fit into the box that I've created. And so you as God, you must conform to who I want you to be. And God says, No. If anybody's going to conform, it's going to be you. And so we get frustrated in this negotiation that God says, no, this isn't going to work out. We're not going to find agreement here. And so we're at a stalemate with God. And so imagine with me in this discussion that then Jesus pulls up a chair at the table and he looks at me in humanity and says, what's the problem? And I say, you know, God's just not giving me my way. Well, what do you mean? Well, I love God and I want a relationship with him, but he's not letting us do that. And Jesus looks to the father and says, what's up? And the father says, I want relationship with him too, but there's unholiness in their life. Jesus looks back at me and says, yeah, see, there's unholiness. He can't be around that but I want to be right with God. And so Jesus turns back to the Father and says, so what can we do about this? Is there any way we can do this? And and, G, and, and, God, and the Father says, the only way that's going to happen is if they are made completely righteous in my eyes. See, the way it is now, they've been taken captive by sin. I can't have a relationship with that. And so Jesus asked the Father, well, what would it take? What would have to happen to make this right? Is there any way that we can find agreement on this? And, and the Father says the only way that it would ha- be, be okay is if there was a, a perfect sacrifice set aside to set them free from their sin. And then Jesus looks at the Father and says, what about what I did? I lived a perfect life. I was killed on the cross. Is that enough? And the father smiled and said, yeah, that's enough. But they have to acknowledge that's the only way it's going to work. They have to acknowledge that the only way this relationship is going to happen is if they totally lean on that reality that you did that for them because they can't be good enough without your help. One of the beautiful things that Paul says in verse five, he says, for there is, one, uh, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And what Paul says is, is there's only one person who could actually sit at that table and be the mediator. And it's the one who was both fully God and both fully human because he could understand both sides. And Paul says, you know, the only one who could possibly pull this off was Jesus himself. And so he did what was necessary to set us free from the sin that entangled us. Now again, please don't write a book on theology based on that. Please don't sit down and go out and tell everybody, well, this is what happened. But but I think Paul is using words that we understand to, to give us an insight of what, what happened here. That when Jesus went to the cross, it was, it was Jesus standing in on our behalf, mediating for us with the Father, saying, listen, I'll take care of it. I'll do what needs to be done for them. Because they can't do it on their own. I'll negotiate that with you father. So, Paul goes on then, and he describes verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And So the second term that he uses is ransom, and this word ransom, this is the only place in the New Testament that it's used in this specific word. Uh, there were other places where ransom was used. Jesus said that the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Different word. And, and so, let me explain to you what Paul says when he uses the word ransom. His audience would have understand, understood fully what he was saying. So if two countries were at war and the war was over and one country had captured soldiers and the other country wanted their soldiers back, there would be a price to pay to get them back. Whether it be money or it be land or it be whatever it was, they would go and they would pay a price so that their soldiers could be set free. And that money or that price, whatever it was, was the ransom, right? And the other picture of ransom that his readers would have fully understood was the idea that there would be people who had a debt they could not pay. And so they would go to the creditor and they would offer either themselves or one of their family members to be a slave to the person to whom they were indebted. And by that person becoming a slave, then the debt would be canceled, and that sounds horrible in our minds, but a little different than we understand slavery. But, but they would be owned by that person then. And so the family who gave up that individual would work very diligently to save up the money and save up whatever they could so they could go back to the one which they owed the money and pay money to set that person free. And that money that was given is called a ransom. And so Paul says that Jesus came... And Through this mediation, he became the ransom. He became the price that was paid to set us free, and I think in this situation, to set us free from sin. Because all of us have this sin problem. All of us have this sin reality. And so Jesus became the ransom. He became the price that was given up so that we could find forgiveness, we could find a relationship with God, and we could find a relationship that lasts forever because Jesus paid the price he was the ransom that set us free. What happened in Parkland a couple weeks ago was a horrible, horrible thing. And all of the students that died and the teachers that died, but but out of that story, uh, some heroes rose up. And one of the heroes was a man named Aaron feast I'm sure you've heard this story. He was a football coach. And so the the gunman was shooting people and they were coming towards uh, this coach and there were three young ladies standing there who were basically the next ones who were going to be shot. And the version that I read of the story is that he brought the three young ladies together and he huddled himself over them so that he could be a barrier between the gunman and them. And the bullets that were intended for them went into his body. They took him into surgery after it was all done and it was in surgery he died and left behind his family. And we look at that story and we think a couple of things. I think, you know, if I'm ever in that situation I hope I do the same thing. I feel like I would but until you're there you don't know. And the second thing we think is that guy's a hero. Because he gave up his life so they could have theirs. He sacrificed his future. He sacrificed everything with his family. He sacrificed it all so that they could live on. So they could live on and reach their full potential. And they will never ever forget what he did for them. Because he gave up everything for them. And he's a hero. So hear me, hear what I'm telling you. That when Jesus chose to be our ransom, he chose to be our hero. He chose to be the one who stepped in. I took the bullets for us. He paid the price for us. And I think sometimes we overlook the gravity of the decision that he made. Luke, when he talks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is on his knees praying. And while he's praying, he says that his his sweat turned into blood. And and what we know now is that that he had blood vessels that were exploding because the intensity of the grief and the despair and the stress was so great that blood was dripping down like sweat. Now, what was that stress about? Well, he knew what he was getting ready to face. Right? He knew that they were going to whip him almost to death with a cat of nine tails. He knew that they were going to blindfold him and hit him in the mouth and say, prophesy, prophet, tell us who hit you. He knew that they were going to bang a crown of thorns on his head, and it would be incredibly painful. He knew that he would be called to carry a cross that He would be unable to carry the whole way. He knew that there were going to be spikes through his wrist and his feet. And he knew it would be incredibly damaging on how people rejected him. And it was there in the garden that he had to decide. Will I really do this? will I really be the ransom? Will I really give myself up for humanity? I mean, let's be honest. They're going to mess up a lot. If I do this for them, they're they're still going to make a lot of mistakes. They're still going to be making decisions that are considered evil. They're they're still going to be doing wrong stuff. Is humanity really worth this? And it was there in the garden that he stopped and he said yes. Yes. You're worth it. You go back to the table with the mediator. It's like he, he looked at humanity in the eyes and said, you know what? You're worth it. You're worth it. I'll do it. And he said yes at that moment. And once he said yes, there would be nothing that would get in his way. Of going to the cross and being a ransom. so today, there's a couple of things in this. And, and the first one is, if, if you've never come to the point in your life where you've accepted the gift of Jesus' ransom for you, oh my goodness, please know his love for you is so incredibly deep and so incredibly powerful. And he decided you were worth it. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, how can we not be all in How can we not be all in? Jesus looked at us and said we're worth it. How can we not be all in? Let's pray.